your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Now the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. It's an immaculate inning for Kane Povich. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. Wow, what a start by Povich here in Lincoln today. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Sometimes we're off the air for a couple days and not much happens. Goodness gracious. We've been off since Thursday. I know the guys had a show on Friday night, but man, there has been so many things that have happened. We're going to catch you all up on that tonight. Welcome to another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I hope you had a chance to reflect, think back to all the men and women who help provide us the freedom to do things like this. Listen to a little chit-chat show about sports or go to a sporting event uh, in your area. Maybe you're out at a Legion game right now getting ready to watch some high school kids play a lot of that's because of the, on the backs of the men and women who laid their life on the line so hope you had a chance to reflect on that over the memorial day weekend a lot here on the program tonight tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the omaha world Herald, going to join us here in a little bit we'll get his thoughts about husker baseball he's written some terrific columns over the weekend one about the amazing accomplishment of will bolt's team this year winning the league by three and a half games uh, the amazing crowd that showed up Saturday for the doubleheader out of Haymarket Park, one of the top 20 crowds in the history of the ballpark, watched the Huskers split that doubleheader with Michigan. And then he's also written about Nebraska being shipped down to Fayetteville for the regional that will start on Friday. We'll get Tom's take on all that coming up later on in the hour. Head baseball coach Will Bolt, I should say, the Big Ten's coach of the year, Will Bolt, will join us at the top of hour number two. We'll reflect back on the Michigan series and a look ahead to their matchup with Northeastern on Friday night at 7 o'clock from Bomb Stadium down in Fayetteville. So Will will join us top of hour number two mike rooney who covers college baseball for espn he's going to be a part of the squeeze play coverage that they'll launch on friday along with matt schick another former nebraskan who worked at ketv up in omaha we'll talk to mike coming up in the second hour of the show and in the third hour it is tuesday already because of the long weekend so top 10 tuesday Headed your way at the top of hour number three. So full show here tonight. If you want to be a part of it, 531-500-4686. You can do that with either a phone call or a text. If you text us, you're doing that on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Oscars, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. So, Ben, a lot to cover, and I don't, I'm, I, I don't really quite know where to start. I guess we'll just start with your reaction yesterday when the pairings show and the very first bracket they put up was with the number one seed arkansas and there were the huskers your thoughts that went through your mind uh when you saw that happen yesterday i think uh you know i really got a weird feeling um you know when when after the first two were were announced uh arkansas and ngat i I, for some reason i just had a a feeling it was coming but to be to be completely honest, I was totally surprised and shocked. Just totally, totally shocked. Um, you know, I even had a feeling in my you know my stomach that you know once the show starts, I'm like, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be nice to not have our name called in the first bracket for once. You know, we can kind of just 
uh, settle into the show, you know, see what, what schools were picked ahead of Nebraska. Um, and I don't know if it was me being naive or, or you know, uh, foreshadowing of, of how I, you know, perceive things to come, but just complete and total shock that that, that was the case. I, if you would have told me the likelihood of that happening, a percentage, in my opinion, before that started, I would have listed it at maybe 5%, maybe. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was completely thrown off when I saw Nebraska's name pop up. And then it turned immediately from surprise to anger. I mean, almost instantaneously. It, it was, you know, when you win the Big Ten and you win it by multiple games, and this team did, they ended up, the final margin was three and a half games over Maryland who finished second. You, you, you feel like you deserve a better fate than being put with the number one seed in the tournament. That, that to me, the number two in that region, to me, should be somebody that finished fourth or fifth in another league of multiple bids, and you put them in there. And I, I, I guarantee, I guess... You can't put another SEC team out. I get that. You don't want to do that. They've been playing SEC teams for the last couple of months. But you had other, other leagues that had multiple people. Uh, Oklahoma State would have been one that you could have slid in there. They just came off a great run in the Big 12 tournament in Oklahoma City. Why not them? That's drivable. Slide them over there. Put them in that region. You know, there, there were there are a lot of spots you could put Nebraska into. And, and here's, I mean, history has repeated itself. And I don't know how many people have talked about this, but Nebraska won the league in 2017. Darren Erstad's squad won the Big Ten five years ago, 2017. And their reward that year was, oh, we're going to put you at the number one team's regional in Corvallis. Good luck. Go out there and play Oregon State. So the two times in the last five years Nebraska has won the conference, their reward has been to go play the number one seed in the in the regional round. I, I don't. I just don't get that. And you can sit there and go, oh, Husker fans are paranoid, isn't it? Nobody's – but yet, Ben, you, the, the head of the committee, when he point blank gets asked about it, man, this guy had no answer, did he? I mean, we're going to play that. I think Tim's got the clip for us here. I mean, this guy's like, why does the Big Ten champ get sent to play at the number one overall seed? And uh, do, Tim, do you have that queued up and ready? And this is the head of the, the baseball committee that, that pieced this whole bracket together. I don't know. What's his name? It's Jeff. Um, Jeff Altier from Stetson. Jeff Altier. He's from Stetson. Athletic director from Stetson. And, and so here he gets asked, do we have Evan's question too, Tim, or did we just have his response? Okay, Evan Bland, Omaha World Herald, asks the head of the baseball committee, why did Nebraska get put in Arkansas? Here, here was the exchange. Jeff, kind of uh, along those same lines, uh, I know a lot of people locally were wondering about Nebraska as a power league, Big Ten champ, playing at the number one overall seed in Arkansas. I'm just curious, what were the conversations like in that? And and do you think that they were uh, somewhat penalized by that league-only schedule that you're talking about? Maybe. um, And I hate to give you such a definitive answer. uh, (laughs) But I do know that somebody's got to play Arkansas. um, and and they set themselves apart in the SEC, and um, and it, we when we looked at the overall field, we try to balance the field. So we look at the two, three, the one, two, and three seeds in every bracket that we have, and we try to give an assessment of in the totality, is that a fair bracket? The the fours are in there as well, and we try to make sure that that's a, a good total region. And when we looked at 
uh, that number one region with Arkansas in it, we spent a great deal of time and actually flipped out uh, multiple teams in that region uh, until we ended up with this uh, assessment with it. And um, so, so that's that's pretty much what it was. I mean, I I would think it it was difficult to get there, but we ended up. Uh, it just is somebody's got to play the number one. So. When I hear that clip, first of all, his facial expressions, if you if you haven't seen the video, made that clip even more painful to listen to because he was kind of looking around, and you could tell he had no idea what to say. No idea what to say. Um, Evan asked a, uh, from Nebraska's standpoint, and not one thing did he say in that minute, whatever, filibuster, was anything about Nebraska at all. Not one thing about our team or, or the Big Ten. The only thing that he said was, someone has to do it. Someone has to play Arkansas. The other thing that he said that was really interesting was, you know, when we looked at these, we really wanted it to be balanced. So, we, we you know, we wanted to, the one through three. And I think he totally let the cat out of the bag. I mean, he just totally – you could tell the four seeds were a complete afterthought. <laughs> he kind of threw that in at the end. <laughs> but seeds one through three, we wanted to make sure it was, it was fair and balanced. So – for more context, I watched the entire press conference that he had on YouTube, multiple, twice actually, and the one thing that he kept using as a cop-out for every answer that he didn't know, and it, and it was quite a bit, was you know, we, we, we relied heavily on the opinions of our regional advisory committees. So essentially what that is is they got uh, coaches or people in the area that – would give you an eyeball test. That's that's what it was. Every time he references a regional advisory committee, it was a guy or a group of people's opinions on what they saw when they see they see, say, see these teams play. And so there were a lot of bubble talk questions from reporters from schools that were left out. And his answer every time, well, the regional advisory committee this, regional advisory committee that. So that was the first thing that stuck out, those first two things that I mentioned, the the lack of, of even talking about Nebraska. And then the other thing that stuck out to me was, and, and I should say, reporters were not allowed to ask follow-up questions in this right away. They were, but they had to get back in line, and, you know, they, it wouldn't have been – you know, an easy follow-up question for Evan to ask. But if I was there, I would have asked when he goes, well, we did some switching from from flipping and flopping of teams, and, you know, ultimately that's what we decided. Okay, well, then my follow-up to that is, well, why did you decide Nebraska? What was it about Nebraska that you felt needed to go to Fayetteville as opposed to these other teams that you were flipping and flopping at the last minute? There were two things that he mentioned continuously that uh, Nebraska fit the bill in. One, were you – hot late he continually brought that up and used that against a lot of teams it wasn't a pro for many teams but it was a con for a lot of teams if you didn't play well at the end you were punished for it nebraska definitely played well at the end and you know the and then the other part of it was um you know the uh, uh how you did in conference play definitely mattered and nebraska was right there the rpi was in a good spot for nebraska at 47 so there really wasn't a good option and I don't know about you, Greg, but you hear that clip, and it was almost like we don't really know who else to put there, so we're going to put Nebraska there. Somebody has to do it. Let's make it Nebraska. They can bus it. And we got the Dave Van Horn, Will Bolt connection, and that's going to be that. You mentioned the busing part because that, that's been a lot of people have rallied around that. Well, this is a travel thing. It's busing. 
That's it's easy. You can go. Well, you could bust to Fort Worth. You could bust to South Bend. There were other bussable places for Nebraska to get to, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't buy that, particularly after what happened in 2017 when Nebraska won the league and they got shipped to Corvallis. I mean, this has twice now happened. You win the conference, which ought to get you a little bit of bonus. Winning the conference ought to have some perks. And in, in the two times in the last five years Nebraska's done that, they've been shipped to the number one overall seeds region. I, I just I don't get that. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and so I look, at, I look at the other matchups, right? And, and you know, the, if people just won't use the geography, if that's the hill they're going to die on. Okay, well, let's look at the other two seeds that are traveling, right? And there are two that stick out right away. You mentioned one of them already, and that's Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State could have easily bust to Fayetteville very easily. And they finished fourth. They finished fourth in the Big 12 Conference. Fourth. Fourth place in that league. Um, And they only got four schools in, by the way. So you're you're putting the fourth place team in Arizona's region, where they have to fly, would have been pretty easy to send Nebraska there and take on Santa Barbara and Great Grand Canyon along with Arizona. Um, the other team that stands out right away was NC State going to Ruston. And you're giving an NC State team that has the same metrics as Nebraska of being hot late, you know, go on a run. They didn't, they didn't win the ACC tournament. They lost to Duke. But you're giving them the 16 overall seed in Louisiana Tech, the two seed, when I don't think they're busing to, to Ruston, Louisiana. That's a hike. Um, you know, why not stick Nebraska in that region and make NC State go to Fayetteville? I, so I'm, the, the travel thing I'm not buying either. But I guess my point is the NCAA, there's no – and this was a tough year. There's not saying I'm not. I don't want to discount that. This was a really tough year. Tough metrics with the Big Ten not playing non-con, the ACC playing only a handful. It was a hard year. But you would think, you know, rewarding as you said, rewarding a team who wins a Power Five conference and who had the national runner-up and had the number three overall pick in the draft last year. Like, when is this league going to start getting the benefit of the doubt? I don't know what else you have to do. People are going to say, well, win on the field. Michigan did that. <laughs> they were one game away from winning the national championship. Yet we're still – the Big Ten is still kind of looked down upon and and saying, yeah, well, you, you know, you're not quite good. You're good, but you're not good enough. So go, go play the number one national seed. I just – there isn't an argument out there to me that justifies – Putting Nebraska in the number one overall seed, and, and and it bothers me. It won't it won't bother the team. You'll never hear a word from the team about it. Um, they've handled it the right way. This is in, in no way an indictment. This first segment, how the team feels about it. You better believe they're hungry to go down there at Baumwalker and play good baseball. But you and I, <laughs> who are given a platform to say our opinions and see how it feels and cover this as much or more than anybody else, we can say how we feel about it. And you know. You will not convince me otherwise that this was a fair um, situation for Nebraska to be in, based on the on that on the um, region that they got put in. And I, the, one more point I want to make too is the eye test, right? Why why are we relying so much on an eye test and a regional advisory committee to put teams places in or out or even in and out of a tournament? Like you would think that you you would as a committee would want to get eyes on them yourself or or not have to rely on a third party's opinion on whether a team's good enough or not to be in the tournament. That really bothered me, and and that wasn't even re- directed at Nebraska. That was directed at teams that were left out of the tournament. 
or got into the tournament just based on somebody's um, you know somebody's opinion. So there was a lot of that press conference that really didn't sit well with me. That he was ill prepared. He didn't come across as he knew what he was talking about at all, and it was rough. It was really rough. Listen. Uh, on our text line, they said the committee did the same thing to Michigan in 2019. They didn't win the conference, but they were unquestionably the best team in the Big Ten that year. They sent them out to UCLA. Excuse me? They were unquestionably the best team in the Big Ten? Wait, Michigan, what is he talking about? In 2019? Yeah, Michigan didn't win the they league. They didn't get sent out to UCLA. They played them in the Super Regional. They got sent they, out to Oregon Corvallis. State, who was Way not even, they weren't even the top eight national seed that year. Right, so that's that's incorrect. Michigan didn't win the league, didn't win the tournament. Nebraska bounced them out of the tournament. Nebraska won three out of five, and you, you're right. They got sent to Corvallis, who I don't even think was a top-eight national seed. They were out there with Creighton, right? It was Creighton, Michigan, yeah. and Oregon Michigan, State. And Michigan was one out away from not making the tournament. They, right. they beat Illinois in the ninth inning on a Jordan Wogu double. Then they go on the run in Omaha. If it wasn't for that, they weren't getting in. Right. So, yeah, I would disagree with that. Know your facts. All right, I uh, need to take a break. When we come back, Tom Chattel will get his thoughts about all of this. The Huskers winning a conference title, the great crowds that were at Haymarket Park over the weekend, and now Nebraska's destination of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We'll get into Tom's thoughts on this coming up next. We're back on a Tuesday Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network and delighted to be joined by Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald. You can read Tom's work on Omaha.com. Bumped into Tom Saturday at Haymarket Park. Did you have to hike away to get to the ballpark? You were talking about people parking a half mile away. Uh, no, I, 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 I snuck into a into an open spot in the parking lot. So, it, you know, it's... It, it's an old KG veteran move to just <laughs> drive around the parking lot, and, and you never know. You might get lucky. So, um, you know, it was uh, – it was, but it, it was it was interesting. I haven't seen it like that in a long time. How cool was that? That was a neat scene, wasn't it? It was great. It was just – I hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't been around that many people, and I can't remember when, especially at a sporting event. It was probably the – the Creighton Seton Hall game I went to at the end of uh, the end of, of of a year and a half ago that that season. So uh, it was great, and you know, not once did I think about COVID. Maybe people think that's bad, but I thought this is natural. This is the way it should be. So I stood in line for a hot dog. It took about forty five minutes, and it was the greatest forty five minute wait of my life. I loved it. Well, it was heck of a season. I know the Huskers split that doubleheader, but still win the league by three and a half games. Um, are you surprised by the job Will Bolt has done? Have we underappreciated him? How do you take what Will Bolt's done the last couple of months? Well, you know, it's a. Some people say, "Well, this is his second year." It's it's actually like it's like it's like his first year and a half almost. It's. Um, so I, I, I don't think any of us knew what he could do because he he didn't get to do much last year. He was just still in the non-conference. I think playing Northern Colorado when when they turned the lights out. And um, but it, what what an interesting uh, development. And he told me about that. Uh, I interviewed him earlier this year about the, having having the first three or four weeks of games last year enabled them. It gave them a snapshot of the roster and and what they needed, what they had, what they didn't have. So they were able to go into, into this off season last year, um, 
where they, they had coaches meetings at, at, at the houses after they put kids to bed and they went to golf courses and had coaches meetings and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but they, they, they basically were able to have an off season where, where, where they could remake the roster. And then they came back this year, and they, it was a conference-only season. So basically, he's been here for, for like one whole season, uh, a non-conference part and a, and a conference part. And so I think we all knew he was he, 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 he had a lot of potential. Anybody who's associated with Dave Van Horn and Rob Childress is probably going probably gonna to know how to coach, or they're going to know the game. It's just a matter of experience. Um, and for him to come out of the gate this year, I think we were a little surprised. I think I think we thought he would be good. Would he be good this quick? Uh, I don't know. Um, so I think there was a little bit of surprise, sure. Okay, they, they get the news yesterday that they're going to go see Dave Van Horn's team in Arkansas, or at least be in that same regional with the Razorbacks. Your take on that, uh, that's uh, going to be a, a, a big mountain for this team to climb, isn't it? Well, it is, it is, and it was not totally unexpected, but I think people thought, well, if you're going to win the Big Ten, if you're, if you're going to win a Power Five conference, no matter what it is, you're probably not going to get sent to, to the number one overall seed. They did. I think the the, uh, the the NCAA baseball committee took the easy way out. Now, they did – look, it was a tough year to, to, uh, to try to do this kind of thing. Uh, the basketball committee didn't have to worry about it. Everybody went to Indy, but so it was it was a tough team or tough year to kind of rank everybody. But I still think they they probably they they got jobbed you know, but it's it feels out of place to uh, complain about anything around Will Bolt and and even Van Horn. That's just they never complained once when they were here about anything, and. And he, I never heard Bolt complain. I'm just—it it feels out of place almost to really, and and, and, and to, to because they're, they're, they see things as an opportunity, not a hurdle, and that's why they're so good. Um, also, Greg, it, it as I wrote um, <clears throat> Saturday was just such a revelation for me. Um, what a great experience to be back in a ballpark with a full crowd. You hear the roar of the crowd, the just the whole thing. It, it just gave me goosebumps. Um, it made me appreciate so much what we've missed, and so I, I felt really almost. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt excitement yesterday. I felt like this is this is this is refreshing. This is this this is what it's all about. Have a tournament, and so you know, I'm, I'm not. I, I can't have a hard time feeling angry about this because I'm so happy to have the games back and the crowds back. So, um, yeah, if you feel like if you if if you feel like the, the, the Nebraska got done wrong, it's 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 the greatest frustration ever because at least we have something <laughs> to be frustrated about. No doubt, I think that's exactly right. Did you hearken back to when the park opened? Did it kind of have that feel Saturday to you? Those runs to the CWS, and it, I mean, I think that's that's the trajectory that it appears as things on. Or are we overstepping little, this just with a hot run? A little bit, but see, I, I remember big crowds during the Earth State era, but 
and there, you know, and even even some of the Mike Anderson games, if the people got in the habit of going, and you know, the, the big series is they did the crowds show up, but yeah, I think there was a little bit of that. I think it's just maybe because of Bolt, um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to write later this week the the Bolt Van Horn connection. The uh, it's unmistakable, and he, he should never be compared to. He should be his own man and his own coach, but it's just, it's, it's hard not to go there. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what kind of legacy he can build for this program. What, what, what he's got in store. And, um, you know, I certainly think that they have a chance that every, whenever you, whenever you go out there, you lace them up and you put the gloves on, you got a chance to win. And we don't know how good they are against an all-conference team. We don't. We'll, we'll find out, right? <laughs> I've been watching Arkansas a lot on the SEC Network. Uh, they're incredible, and they're the favorite to win it all, I think. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, regardless of what happens this weekend, I feel like the, the senior class has put their legacy intact. Uh, they were. Uh, uh, a big, I, I, I think they, they built a bridge to whatever lies ahead, and I think a lot of good things lie ahead. Um, I think they to win the league uh, by three and a half games to get that regional. Um, yeah, it's 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 all gravy from here for me. I, I think they're really, uh, they're unfortunately they're. They didn't get to play the non-conference. That they that they were saddled with things that they, that they could not control. What they could control, they took care of. I think it, it's it's the seniors are going to have a, a great legacy going forward. But I think next year it's just going to get better. The you know you, you set up a killer non-conference schedule. You, you add more talent. You go back and, and try to win that Big Ten again, and then you go host a regional and then and then, and then take your chances. I think. I think that's what um, – I won't say who told me this, but uh, somebody in big league baseball who sees a lot of college baseball told me that uh, – he said that guy in Nebraska, is, he's going to win a lot in the uh, postseason. Um, so I think that it, – it's exciting. <clears throat> Buckle up and put that phone down, a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. I'll let you go with this. The athletic department needed this, don't they? They needed a jolt of something from one of their men's sports to kind of give them life. And can that maybe trickle down to across the parking lot to the to the football stadium and over to PBA? Can, can it have that effect, do you think? No, I think that's probably – I don't know. I you, you can't put that on Bolt. And you can't put that on – you just have to take every sport for, for what, what, it's, uh, what they mean and what they've done. Um you know, it's are there. Will, will the football team that be thinking about baseball when they're when they're playing Northwestern next year or when they're playing, you know, Wisconsin? I don't think so. Will they suddenly come to life because Nebraska made a regional? Yeah, I think it's. I think everybody's. And I will say we've had a, a jolt of excitement when, when Frost was hired and when Fred Hoiber were hired. So we just haven't seen the results yet. Um, you know, it, it's been a while. We're, we're certainly getting anxious, but 
No, I think every sport is is is, is sort of one unto itself. It, it, but I think I think you do. It, it just reminds you of what the you know. When I hear people say, "Well, all these high school kids are leaving. Why, why, they don't care about Nebraska." It's like these kids have not grown up in a state where Nebraska won and won big consistently. If and when that happens again, it's it's a game changer, and the whole atmosphere in the state is in just it's so different it's 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 it, you can't even describe it so what we're seeing in baseball right now is a little bit like that so get the other get the other sports going and uh i mean the state will be upside down and you won't recognize it hope it happens tom great to see you on saturday thanks for for coming on tonight i've really enjoyed the columns the last couple of days they've been great reads well, thank you sir and, and i get some good barbecue down there Ah, plan on it. Appreciate it. Right now, delighted to be joined by the head coach of the Cornhuskers. Coach, great to have you with us. Congratulations on, on the league title, finishing off in style, winning that series from Michigan, and, and for you personally, being named the Big Ten Coach of the Year. Congratulations. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, just a, a lot of hard work by a lot of talented people here uh, starting with the players and everything they've done this year and how hard they've played how hard they've worked and my staff um, just the, the effort time and effort they've put into coaching these guys um, has, has helped culminate in a, a very su- successful season up to this point you had to like some of the individual oh. awards that were handed out Spencer getting player of the year Max getting freshman of the year and then you had a handful of guys that were honored on the teams you had to like that you, that you're the season you had was recognized around the conference. Yeah, there. You know, usually the what happens when you win games is the individual awards um, kind of follow that. And um, certainly, Spencer was the most valuable player in our league. Um, the, what he brought to our team every day, just hitting in the three hole, playing an amazing shortstop defensively, um, and then closing games out. Um, he probably single handedly was part of um, you know a handful of wins just by himself. Uh, saving games for us and those type of things. And, and, you know, Max Anderson, just very, very consistent um, start to finish and freshman of the year, certainly deserving there. Um, you know, and then the other guys that, that were recognized as well. I mean, Povich could very easily have been the pitcher of the year, how consistent he was. And, and Luke Roskam just had an amazing year, um, you know, and, and Bryce Matthews with his freshman honor uh, as well. You uh, you finished strong. I mean, you, you win 10 of your last 11. Your thoughts about the, the winning series over a Michigan team that I know you have a lot of respect for. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely um, – we, we wanted to make sure our focus was on uh, Michigan the last weekend, you know, having the uh, the dog pile the weekend before and then um, just having the – you know, we didn't really want to do a ton of celebrating the Big Ten Championship because we knew we had a big series – uh, with Michigan, you know, this weekend. So we, we wanted to make sure we had our focus on them. And um, I, think, I thought our pitching and defense was outstanding. Um, and it was just good to see us finish off that, the weekend, uh, the season the right way, uh, winning another series, something we've been so consistent to doing all year. What did you make of the the 7,000-plus that came out to celebrate your team on Saturday? That's a pretty cool scene, wasn't it? It was. It looked like a postseason atmosphere. Um, it looked like a glimpse of um, when we do get a chance to host a regional again, you know, something along those lines where you've got 
seven, 8,000 people there. You got, you know, the berms lined up, people all around the stadium um, and standing room only, and, and they were loud. We didn't give them a lot to cheer for in that first game, but uh, it was good to see us bounce back in the second one. They got to see a pretty good catch in left field by Mojo. That was a heck of a play, wasn't it? Yeah, it got really loud then. I, they really tried to will us to victory at that point where, you know, Mojo made that play and then got a leadoff hit. Um, you could really sense the crowd trying to – trying to will us to victory there. And it just got, you know, the atmosphere was, was pretty special. A, a big, and I mean big, senior celebration before the game. You had a lot of guys you recognize, and some of that's because of COVID and the super seniors that came back this year. Just your thoughts about what that group meant to you and the, the, the launch of your program here in Lincoln. Yeah, I, I just can't say enough about those guys. And I've, I've been very um, – you know, quick to compliment them throughout the year because they really are such just a, an incredible group of young men that have been very selfless, um, just very committed to winning. Um, they're just um, great role models, great in the community, um, just everything you could possibly want. And then just with with the transition of coaches, just very much um, uh, welcoming, wel- welcoming our staff with open arms and, and being very coachable and, and very – um, willing to do some things maybe a little bit different than they were asked to do before. So um, they were great leaders for this team. They will continue to be great leaders for this team. And, and I have no question, long after their baseball time is done, they're going to be very successful um, you know, in, in whatever endeavor they choose. Visiting with Husker head coach Will Bolt here on Sports Sunday. Huskers will be headed to Fayetteville later in the week to take part in that regional play, taking on Northeastern on Friday night. Okay, so let's go to Selection Monday. It's always a kick to see your school's name pop up on the screen. That's a thrill. That's also, I mean, you knew it was happening because you were the automatic qualifier, but that's still a thrill, isn't it, for any team to see on Selection Monday all the hard work paying off for you? No doubt about it. And, you know, you rest a little bit easier knowing that you're the automatic uh, bid there, uh, not not kind of hanging on every pick to make sure you're there. But, yeah, it was a lot of the drama was taken out of it very early there with the very first uh, regional that popped up and seeing our names. And we kind of get our, get on about our business for the day um, after that just because it, it happened so quickly. But, yeah, it was just it was exciting to – have your name in there and, you know, them talk about being the Big Ten champs and, and, and those type of things. Well, everybody, I know everybody is focused on Arkansas, but you've got business to take care of before then, and that's Northeastern is your opponent on Friday. What's your early scouts say about this team that, that was the Colonial Athletic champs? Yeah, they're they're just like most every team that's in the field. They're they're hot. They played a great brand of baseball. I believe they've won like 32 of their last 37 games. Um, so they've won. They've been used to winning. They won some dramatic games in their in their postseason tournament. Um, they have a guy with 21 home runs in their lineup um, who could hit for in the middle of anybody's order in the country. Um, they they filled 980 as a team. Um, so they don't hurt themselves. They still, they've stolen about 120 bases as a group, and they've got a couple of really good frontline arms, and their their team uh, ERA is very good. So they're a very well-rounded team. Um, they they obviously can hit for power and they can run. They play good defense, and then they've got guys on the mound that get it done. So um, you know our entire focus is on them. I mean that that's really. You know, we're going to Arkansas's regional because they're hosting, but our first um, order of business is to find a way to, to play well and win on Friday. Well, uh, what's the plan between now and then? Do you practice a couple of days here and then head down? What What's the schedule look like between now and Friday night? 
Yep. Uh, had a, a practice today, kind of what it's typically been uh, during the season where <clears throat> short and sweet, get in, get some group work done with position coaches, um, take some BP and, and be done tomorrow. Um, we'll have a couple hours um, in the morning that we'll practice uh, prior to getting on the bus. We'll get on the bus tomorrow afternoon um, and, and head that way. And then we'll have our uh, 90-minute practice on Arkansas's field. I believe it's at 11 a.m. on Thursday. And then it looks like we're going to play the night game on Friday. So we'll have a little bit of downtime in between uh, then. Bomb Stadium's a cool place. I know you've been there a couple times. It's a, it's a great atmosphere. I'm sure you guys are looking forward to being in, in front of a group of fans that love baseball, just like Husker fans do. Yeah, no doubt. It, there's really, um, you know, I'm biased here. I think we have the best college baseball um, fans in the country. But you know, aside from Nebraska, I think Arkansas fans come out and support their team as well as anybody, um, and just. You know, they, they have the suites that go all the way around the stadium. Um, and they got the, the chair backs that are filled to the brims. And then they have the outfield seating where there's people out there um, uh, tailgating and, you know, bringing in their uh, beverages of choice. And it can get pretty rowdy out there as well. So um, they, they, do, they do a great job of their, their game day atmosphere. Um, you know, obviously Dave has had a tremendous amount to do with um, all the additions to their stadium and and everything that they've done in that ballpark. And it's going to be a it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere for our players to to play in front of um, when when we get that opportunity. I'm sure for you it'll be nice to see him. You maybe didn't want to see him under these circumstances, though, right? Yeah, it'll be good to see him. I mean, I had a chance to see him, you know, once a year when we were playing against each other in the conference and the SEC and catch up on him a little bit. And I, I talked to him here and again um, throughout the year and lean on him for advice for some things at times. But um be good to see him. Um, he's obviously got a great team. And, um, you know, hopefully we have that opportunity to play him right away on, on Saturday. Well, Coach, one last thing. Today's June 1st, so this is the first time in like 14 months that the NCAA has opened the doors for student-athletes to visit campuses, for coaches to make contact with student-athletes in person. I think it may be a little different for baseball. Where are you guys in that, and how anxious are you and the staff to get out and start doing some in-person recruiting again? Yeah, it's amazing. We haven't we haven't so much as seen a high school baseball game um, since 2019. I mean, it's hard to believe because our dead period in baseball goes – um, typically from November to March 1st. Um, so we, you know, right at, at, at 2019 when that happened, um, March 1st rolled around, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. So it's been – it's crazy to think it's been that long since we've seen a high school baseball game. We did have a camp early 2020, which would have been the last time we would have interacted with high school student-athletes at all. Um, so, yeah, just to have the chance to get back out and, and more importantly, uh, be able to have guys come on campus as well. Um, recruiting has just been so crazy for the last year where we've got so many guys that um, are either on our current roster who never came before they they actually came to school here. And then we have some guys coming in next year uh, for this fall that have never even been on campus. So um, it'll be good to get back out, be able to watch some high school games um, and then and have guys on campus to show this place off. Very good. Well, Coach, again, congratulations on the team's success. You being named Coach of the Year, Husker Nation's really pumped about this team. Travel safe to Fayetteville, and we'll see you down there on Friday. All right, Greg. Rolling right along here on a Tuesday night of Sports Sportsana here on the Husker Sports Network as we get ready 
for another edition of the NCAA Baseball Tournament. Can't wait for this to get going. Can't wait for Omaha to be lit in a couple of weeks. I know one guy that's anxious for that joins us now. That's Mike Rooney of ESPN, who will be all over the coverage, along with our good friend Matt Schick, coming up later in the week. Hey, Mike, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Greg? How are we doing? How are you? Fantastic. I bet you are I bet you're beyond excited for this thing to get going on Friday. Yes. Yes, it's my favorite time of the year. Yeah, it's uh you know, we had the conference tournament. Conference tournaments is really when it starts to get going for me and then, you know, the selection show is like Chris it's like Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning. And so yeah, then the regionals, it's awesome. It's it's by far my favorite time of year. I was I saw quite a bit of you at the Big 12 tournament in Oklahoma City last week, and you were making a pitch to the to your friends out in the Pac-12 to get together and put a tournament on, right? You want them to do a conference tournament? Yeah, I just think I mean I think it's first of all, and I think these are the two most important points. They're awesome for the fans, and they're awesome for players. You know, like uh, players love conference tournaments; it's fun. I get why coaches don't like them as much, and, and that makes a ton of sense, but I do think that it's good for the leagues, it's good for the fans, it's good for the sport. And I do think at the end of the day, leagues with conference tournaments, it helps them get more teams in the NCAA tournament than it hurts. Um, I understand the fear, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Color me pro-conference tournament guy. <laughs> well, and, and we certainly missed it here in Omaha this year. Uh, but not having the Big Ten, they are going to be back. In fact, they extended their lease for a couple more years to have the Big Ten at TD Ameritrade, which is just a great spot to have it. Uh, let's talk about you. You were part of the selection show yesterday with Matt and Kyle. How did the committee do in your eyes? Were there any misses? What did you think? Yeah, I thought they did well. You know, I, I actually like this committee. If you really break down the personnel on there, I like um, I like who they are. They're, they have baseball ties. Uh, you know, I, I, Jeff, you know, we put Jeff on TV, Jeff Altier, and he's great, but, you know, he's not, you know, a professional on TV person either, so people can be a little bit critical of that. But, you know, I, I just think, you know, in a normal year, picking 64 teams is virtually impossible. In a year with a pandemic, it's, you know, impossible times a million, right? So it's, I think they did the best they could. If I were to critique them, I really was fair. I was fairly disappointed with the reliance on RPI with so many teams and leagues. You know, RPI was just so out of whack and it felt obsolete to me. So that was a bummer. I, you know, I was really disappointed for Pitt. I thought Pitt had uh, an incredible season. They did struggle down the stretch after having to take a COVID break. They just never got right after their COVID break. Um, you know, it, Alabama, I, I, I have great respect for Brad Bohannon and what that program has been through and, and how far they've come. But, you know, a team that goes 3-6-1 and one in SEC series, you know, that's, that, that's a data point that I really struggled with. But all that said, Greg, I think they did a, an, an, an excellent job under really difficult circumstances. How, how big a challenge is it for Nebraska to go to Fayetteville? You, I know you've probably seen Arkansas and even, maybe even in person a time or two, but... Boy, from the outside looking in, this looks like a huge mountain for Nebraska. Yeah, I would say, Greg, I had a Nebraska game earlier this year. I, I love this team. I love what Will Bolton and his staff are doing. I mean, it just, uh, you know, if, if Nebraska baseball was a stock, I would be pouring money into it. That said, I can't imagine getting sent to a worse regional. You know, it's Arkansas is the best team in the country by a wide margin. They have a four-seed that should be fairly manageable for them. 
They, you know, they, they, Arkansas checks every box. You know, for Nebraska, I think Northeastern is outstanding. I, I think Northeastern is kind of a modern-day version of Stony Brook 2012. I, I you know, I, I, think, I think those are two great teams going at it in the two-versus-three games. So, you know, again, I think if you're Nebraska, just continuing to go to NCAA tournaments is the key. It's the key for every program. But, um, yeah, this, this is just an, a really, really challenging draw. Again, visiting with Mike Rooney of ESPN. You'll be a part of, is it squeeze play now? Did you get rid of bases loaded? Yeah. What happened here? Yeah, we traded bases loaded for a draft pick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, uh, I, I don't know. I I'd heard that there might be a trademark or a licensing issue that MLB may have already owned bases loaded and nobody knew it. So, yeah, so we will rebrand. We will – we will do squeeze play, and I've been telling everybody that, you know, I don't know if this is Bush League or not, Greg, but when you're coaching and the other team runs a squeeze play on you, one of the defense mechanisms is to teach your team and your bench to scream, squeeze at the hitter to try and spook him into messing the bun up. So maybe we can incorporate that into squeeze play this weekend. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, if you can shake Matt Schick up, please do. At every chance you get a chance to, 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 to do that. Uh, you also seem bullish on the Pac-12, and you're a lot more tied into that league than I am. What did you see from that league this year, and what about their chances of maybe getting the team into Omaha? Yeah, I mean, you know, they got six bids, which was a, is a fairly big number for them. I, you know, they were kind of – remember, California really struggled with the pandemic. I mean, a lot of these teams didn't even have fall ball, and so we were worried about the Pac-12, and they almost got a seventh team in. Cal made a, a, a late run. I, I just think it's a league that's had some coaching turnover, and, and you've got some coaching staffs that are starting to settle in there. Um, you know, I, Oregon came out of nowhere, and, and they are a very interesting team. I think Stanford is interesting. They're they're a little they're not very deep on the mound, but th- this is they're getting kind of nearer these old, the old Stanford teams that we were used to seeing in Omaha. And I'll, I'll give you a sleeper, Greg. UCLA. Um, you remember they were the consensus number two team in the country in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've just had all kinds of fits and starts this year. They just have never gotten on a roll. But they did get healthy at the end, and they swept Arizona State on the road fairly convincingly in their final weekend. So, you know, UCLA is going to be down in Lubbock. Texas Tech has had some pitching injuries. I, I'm really curious about UCLA. Good good call on that. You know, Mike, we're, we're pretty locked in here in the Big Ten, and I think we thought it was going to be three. It was three, and I'm still – tight with a lot of the guys in the Big 12. They seem to be miffed in the Big 12 that they only got four. Do they have a do they have a beef in your eyes? Uh, you know, it's I guess it's tricky, right? It's you know, the um I would say this for the Big 12. Getting three top 8 national seeds, that's pretty loud. And Texas Tech was very borderline in that conversation. So, I don't think you can say that the Big 12 was undervalued. I think the problem for the Big 12 is figuring out the fifth-place team was really tricky. It looked like it was going to be Baylor, and then Baylor you know, came into the Big 12 tournament with some serious injuries. They lost their ace, Tyler Thomas. They lost another weekend arm. They lost their third baseman. They went 0-2. And so when you look up, Baylor was the fifth-best RPI in the league, but they were also 11-16 against Big 12 teams. And so that became a problem. Then Kansas State was kind of coming up, 
but their RPI was in the 70s or high 60s, so that was a problem. So I don't. I think I think it's hard. Let me put it this way, Greg. I think there are other leagues that have a bigger beef than the Big 12. Okay. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I talked to a couple guys, um, well, both at Baylor and K-State, that really felt like they maybe had done enough to, to get in there. And this, with those three top eight nationals, they thought, man, if we're, if we're having a battle those guys, we ought to be in there. You know, th- this is, Mike, one thing that just shot, has shocked me the last couple of years in college baseball, and we saw it a bunch even in the Big Ten, is how hard guys are throwing now. I mean, five, six, seven mm-hmm. years ago, you if you saw somebody touch 95, you're like, wow. Now we're seeing guys hit 95 every weekend and multiple guys on teams what's going on here what what has happened with pitching right now at the collegiate level well i just think it's, it's the sport greg you know like uh pitching training has never gotten has never been better and it really is velocity training that's what's happening um you know the flip side is even though velocity's never been better strike throwing's never been worse you know if yeah. in the big 12 tournament we blasted through the tournament walks record fairly easily and you know, I think part of that is, um, hey, like the velocity training, which is, you know, it's good for the game. Um, it, it is it is really advanced past the training of hitters right now. I think the other thing, too, is remember, we had whatever it was, uh, you know, over a year where kids could only train. And so I think a lot of guys got stronger. A lot of guys were able to add velocity. But what we really need on the back end of all this is we need a good session of summer baseball, fall baseball, because, you know, the strike throwing is, is not at a high level. It's one of the worst I've seen. And I, Now, if I were to spin that positive, Greg, I think it's going to lend itself to a very exciting postseason because the number one ingredient in any comeback, to me, is walks. Yeah. Um, and walks lead to errors and base runners and the next thing you know. So I think this postseason could be, you know, really, really erratic because I, I think – I just think there are not very many teams that are equipped to protect leads. Well, Mike, we appreciate it. Great work on the selection show. Can't wait for Let me look. I'm looking it up. Squeeze play. Can't wait for squeeze play starting on yeah. Friday with you and Chick. Uh, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Good to catch up. Yep, we're here. Tuesday night, first live show of the week. We hope you enjoyed our best of show yesterday. Hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend, their Memorial Day weekend, and took a moment to think back to the men and women who gave their lives so that we can enjoy freedoms like sports and going to baseball games and football contests and all those type of things. So I hope you had a chance to reflect on that over the weekend as well. Busy couple of days, a lot of college baseball chatter. We The uh, NCAA opened up the recruiting game again today, June the 1st. Uh, Husker football coaches have been active, getting some things going on. we got camps going on, so a really, really busy month ahead for all Husker sports teams, and they can kind of get back to normal in the recruiting game for all the sports. I know a busy month for Fred Hoiberg and the Husker coaching staff in that sport as well. They've got some camps that are about ready to get going this month as well. All right, coming up this hour, Top 10 Tuesday. We'll get into that here in just a minute, and we'll have some open phones and get into some other topics of the day later on in the hour. But let's launch it, the Top 10. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. All right. Another Top 10 topic, and Austin Orman is the uh, the brain behind this topic. Austin, what, tell everybody what we're doing tonight. 
Well, I, I will uh, fill in for Austin. He's he's hard at work back here uh, in the op center. Uh, What's he doing? Well, who who really knows what Austin does on a, on a day to day? But oh he's boy. fast at work um, compiling whatever it is he <laughs> is compiling. But was he just putting his list together? <laughs> he doesn't actually have one. Oh, he's not playing with no, us. No, he gave us this the is, idea. He planted the seed the and has now moved on. So, Ben, wow. Ben, what has happened? Have we just lost control of this thing? I, I don't know. That's man, <laughs> that's that's like that's suggesting you know at a board meeting that that this is the direction that that we should go, and then uh, just not showing up when it comes time to execute. Absentee. No. All right, Tim. Let everybody know what Austin's idea was. Well, <laughs> this is the a top ten rowdiest fan moments in, in sports history. I think is kind of vaguely. Uh, what it would be described as, or fan interference, whenever whenever fans maybe had a little too much uh, to drink or uh, what have you, um, got involved in the contest when they were not supposed to. And uh, that's that's basically the gist of it. And uh, there's, pl- there's plenty of examples to, to, to choose from, as I'm sure people... Uh, People have uh, gathered over the years of uh, sports history, so plenty of plenty of good stuff out there. I had to do some digging on this one, Ben. This one took me a while. I had about five off the top of my head. So mine's an interesting mix, and, and I would say it's a mix of things that I remember that I thought were funny or crazy or wild, or and then the other half are like very popular ones that people would know. Um, so a couple of mine are probably off the cuff, and you guys might not even remember or, or know of some of mine, but definitely ones that have stuck out to me in the past. All right. So, Tim, since Austin has bailed on us, you get to lead us off. <laughs> okay. And that will. And this one uh, probably uh, won't be fresh in Husker fans' minds, but certainly something they'll remember. Uh, in 2003, Kellen Houston punching a Mizzou fan in Columbia following the 41-24 drumming. Oh, man. Uh, should Houston have done it? Probably not. But uh, like a bunch of uh, intoxicated people rush a field and – Kellen Houston, you know, <laughs> a guy, fan got a little close, and and Kellen wanted to show him the uh, the, the what's for. So, um, yeah, th- th- it's not a good idea <laughs> to <laughs> to get that close to the action as a fan storming the field. Um, probably not a be- not probably not a good idea on Kellen Houston's part either. But uh, yeah, back in two thousand three, Nebraska, Missouri, Kellen Houston cold clock and a Mizzou fan is my number ten. This, All right, the, the, this isn't the only time a uh, a Husker event situation is on a list. By the way, oh, oh. spoiler, another spoiler, just, just a foreshadow, just okay. a foreshadowing. Okay, I like it. I'm going college basketball for my number ten. It was a Baylor Oklahoma men's game in Waco, and this little boy just runs out on the court during the action. Well, they have to. The teams are fortunately going the other way, so he's kind of trailing the play. But it's almost half court before the he comes from the baseline. It's almost half court before his dad can get there to grab him and scoop him up and take him back. The players kind of saw it. The referees saw it and were stopping play. But it's a funny video if you haven't seen it. Bader, Oklahoma basketball. That's awesome. Well, that kind of fits right in with my number 10. And, again, this is probably not one that you have heard of or remember. But uh, the Cincinnati Reds were getting ready to play the Miami Marlins. And – the Reds kind of did this promotion where they, you know, a little kid, and similar to what Nebraska would do, they'd have a little kid run out there and hand the lineup card to the umpire. Yeah. Well, what happened was the little kid, he couldn't have been four, maybe three or four, maybe maybe five at the oldest. Um, you know, does his job, hands the uh, the lineup card to the umpire. The umpire hands him a game ball, and D. Gordon of the opposing Cincinnati Reds is like in a catcher squat position, like right outside the the dirt circle like right before the batter's box the kid runs over 
pretends to hand him the ball to sign it, and he kicks him in the shin <laughs> and then runs away. And D. Gordon was a great sport about it. He, you know, falls on the back like a – you know, like Tim's soccer players do, like he was flopping and <laughs> wanting the yellow card. But it, oh, it was it was hilarious. If you haven't seen it, you should go find it. Oh, boy. Well, speaking of soccer, I guess that, that, that brings me to my number nine. I had to throw at least one on here. But uh, I would encourage you guys to, to Google this if you haven't seen it. Um, Eric Cantona, back in uh, January of 1995, that played for Manchester United, was basically a loose cannon. Imagine... Uh, a Dennis Rodman type as a soccer player. This was basically Eric Cantona. It was just an absolute loose can. They're playing at, at Crystal Palace. So Eric Cantona kicks a Crystal Palace player like four minutes into the second half, gets a red card, and gets sent off. But he wa- wasn't done there. As he was getting kind of escorted off the field, there was a, a rowdy Crystal Palace fan who said something to the effect of, bleep off back to France, you bleep MFR. <laughs> um, Dang. And, and so <laughs> that prompted Eric Cantona to run into the stands and do like a kung fu style drop kick in oh, this guy's man. chest. I mean, absolutely just like put, and then he did like a ra- like, and as he was kind of, he does the drop kick, kicks this guy in the chest, right? And he falls kind of in the stands. And the video is kind of unclear because there's, it was kind of a scrum at this point, but he does almost like a roundhouse, like backhand to his chin or something, and it's it's, it's hard to make out. But uh, it, yeah, it was quite a scene. He Cantona was banned from playing for the rest of the season. Was fined <laughs> around like eleven thousand pounds, and definitely look up this video. I mean, it was it was like a kung fu style flying kick to a guy's chest. Uh, good stuff from Eric Cantona, my number nine. That's wow. severe. That is. Uh, my number nine is also soccer. It's a EuroLeague game. They're lining up for a PK. And, you know, it takes a while to put the ball in the, the spot, and then, then the officials make sure the teams are back far enough. And, well, while they're lining everybody up, this fan comes out of the stands onto the field, gets behind the ball, and nets it. Just kicks it right into the net. <laughs> while everybody's like, "What? where'd this guy come from? Hey, classic. Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna go with the job done. I thought you were gonna go with the Luis Figo. Uh, there was a, a time when Luis Figo was lined up to take a corner kick, and someone threw like a boar's head on the field. Uh, <laughs> he was taking a corner kick. That that w- is not on my list, but that would be another. It's a good good object to have to, to throw on the field as a boar's you, head. I you guess. lost me. On, you lost me on Luis Figo. Luis right, Figo, I, I don't know. Portuguese uh, I don't know. superstar. Something. All right, my number nine is uh, much more relative to this day and age, and this is, again, probably not one you heard of, but I watched a lot of Diamondbacks games. I can't remember if I watched this with Josh or or this was after we moved out, but uh, I'm watching a Diamondbacks game, and um, <laughs> it's there. there's this group of, um, I would say, maybe ten uh, sorority girls that <laughs> – that are at the game. There's not a lot of people there. And Steve Berthume, who's the TV guy for the Diamondbacks, and the, the camera guy kind of notices all 10 of them have their head in their phones, and none of them are watching the game. And he makes a comment like, do you think they know what's happening in the game right now? And and so they're kind of joking about it, and, and literally none of the girls' heads are moving. And so now the TV the – TV, uh, camera operators are onto it and so it goes on for like the entire half inning <laughs> like in between pitches boom right back to these group of girls and not one time did they look up to see what was happening in the game it was like seven and a half minutes of game action <laughs> and they didn't look up one time at the wow. game and and the fact that they picked up on it were joking about it and um, oh man it was just hilarious think, so they all go to the game and sit there on their phones think how common that is though Oh, that's yeah. what a lot of people do, and that's a worry for 
college ADs, for owners of professional teams, how do we get that younger generation to take their nose out of their phones and actually be a participant in these games? Yeah, that is an issue. Uh, my number eight, going all the way back to 1968, uh, and this was, of course, the legendary or rather infamous incident where the Philadelphia Eagle fans threw snowballs at poor old oh, Santa Claus yeah. <laughs> back in December 15th. Uh, the yep. Eagles rolled into the game against the Vikings at 2-11. Uh, obviously, uh, the Eagles were not very pleased with that. There was a halftime Christmas pageant, and they had to grab a fill-in Santa Claus. There was some 20-year-old kid playing this Santa Claus, and when the public address announcer asked the Eagles faithful to give Santa a rousing Philadelphia welcome, well, they did exactly they that. Him. They not only booed him, <laughs> they pelted him with snowballs, and then there were some <laughs> beer cans, some bottles, and apparently a few hoagie sandwiches made oh, their my way. Goodness. So this poor guy got pelted with, you know, 100-plus snowballs and anything else you could imagine. So uh, <laughs> Philly fans showing their love back in 1968, and they got their, their well-earned reputation uh, around that time. Philly Love fans that. are legendary, aren't they, guys? Sure are. Legendary. Oh, yeah. I'm going to golf for my next one. Webb Simpson wins the U.S. Open. Bob Costas, NBC's got the coverage. Bob Costas is out on the 18th green doing the post-match interview. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy just pops up between the camera and Costas <laughs> and Webb Simpson, and he's just standing there. And Costas finally makes some comment about, uh, dude, where can you move out of the way of the shot? And you're like, how the heck did this guy get out on the green? <laughs> just stands there. Stands oh, there man. right between... The camera and Webb Simpson and Bob Costas. It's classic. Go look it up. It's funny. That's great. Uh, my number eight is uh, definitely high on my list, uh, and this is my Husker one because I was at the game with a friend, and the Huskers are playing the Longhorns and a streaker on the field. <laughs> the guy, the guy <laughs> jumps on the field at Haymarket Park, goes from left field to right field, hurdles. He hurdles the berm, <laughs> and off he went. <laughs> And so I believe that game was even on TV, if I remember correctly. But, yeah. Probably was. It's something you would expect at a Nebraska Cornhusker Texas Longhorn baseball game in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dude just runs out on the field, bearing it all. And, I mean, I'd love Tim, to see what is his 100-meter dash time. Where were you that night, Tim? <laughs> Tim would have been maybe, like, 11. I sure hope it wasn't Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hope it wasn't me don't think it was me um <laughs> my number seven this is where i've got 10 cent beer night uh june 4th oh, 1974 geez. the indians and rangers at cleveland municipal stadium uh yeah who would have thought that that promotion <laughs> might have got out of hand they had oh, a man, what a great idea they had a a limit for a six drink limit per purchase but they didn't have a limit on how many purchases you, <laughs> you could make and so uh of course the, the crowd got a little bit unruly there was of course a, 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 a naked man running from second base there was uh people getting a flasher was involved someone threw firecrackers into the rangers bullpen um and of course later on a uh, uh i think a player got tripped and that's kind of when a riot broke out uh there was uh, apparently like people had knives and chains and things like this so yeah it, it got kind of insane they had a surge kind of onto the field and, and they had a couple hundred fans actually surrounding the rangers and so uh yeah when they kind of realized that it had gotten a hand they had to, they had to pull the plug uh but yeah i think the rioting lasted a, a good while probably a good 20 30 minutes before they could before they could break it up so um, yeah 10 cent beer night probably not a promotion coming yeah. near you anytime soon yeah that did not go over well they didn't duplicate that in years to come so uh, rightfully so all right oh, number where were we at six seven six seven. now 
Six. Well, I just did seven, so whatever that's. No, no so I'm following you. I'm so seven. seven. Still seven. Yeah, okay. I'm looking on my list. My number seven, another soccer match. It was not a Euro League match, but it was in Europe. So it was another league, not the Euro League. So not the great big guys. But the, the match is going on, and all of a sudden, this skydiver just lands in the middle of the field, and guy, players are jumping out of the way. And uh, yeah, this guy disrupted that match for that's about 15 something. minutes. Yeah, I mean, bullseye, I guess. In there. Yeah. Better than landing on the roof. Either that. Or was he maybe late? Was he supposed to bring in the, oh, yeah. the, the ceremonial ball yeah. and he just was late? Could have been. Could have yeah, been. been. Uh, my seven actually lines up with Tim. I got the ten-cent beer night here at number seven. Absolutely iconic. And it's funny. That's all you have to say. People know exactly yep. what happened in that game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my number six, I've got another uh, big one. I guess I don't know if it was necessarily considered fan interference, but I'll, I'll count it as, as such as the play from 1982 Cal Stanford. The big game. The Everyone remembers, yeah, the band wandering on the field. But uh, there were also, not just the band, there were also several Stanford cheerleaders. There were some fans, and I think at least 11 players who had wandered onto the field. But anyway, what a mess. Uh, and you go back and look at that play, I think his knee was down. I also think there's probably at least a couple illegal forward laterals in there, but uh, maybe I'm just being cynical. But, uh, yeah, number six to play, it had to be on the list. Good. My number six, I'm going Major League Baseball, 1976, Dodgers-Cubs. A fan in Dodger Stadium runs out on the field with an American flag, and he's going to burn it. It's a protest thing. And Rick Monday, who's the outfielder for the Dodgers, sneaks up behind the guy, steals the flag, and runs away from him. A lot of people remember seeing the images of Rick Monday snatching that flag away from this guy and dashing his way toward the dugout to save the American flag. It was quite a patriotic moment there at Dodger Stadium. All right. My number six is just... I'm imagining being at a game when this happens. you got to go back to 2005 in the Bronx when the Yankees are – who are they playing? The White Sox. The Yankees are playing the White Sox. 18-year-old Scott Harper jumps 40 feet from the upper deck onto the foul ball netting behind home plate and is stuck on the net. Play is stopped. He kind of sits there for a second. He's injured. He has to go to the hospital on a stretcher, uh, crawls up. They, like, yank him. They yank him up off the uh, – onto the concourse after he – you know, he was obviously scared at everything. But, yeah, he was charged. um, And just what a – just a crazy – I mean, the dude jumps onto the – I remember that happening. Behind behind home plate. Yeah, stop playing everything. Just a really weird situation. All right, my number five, this one actually takes a little bit of a darker turn. This is definitely one of the more dramatic uh, fan invasions that, that has probably ever happened in any sport ever. Uh, and this is when, when Monica Sellis was stabbed uh, on April 30th, 1993. There was a deranged fan. It was, at, it was a quarterfinal match in Germany. And this, this German fan, I think it was Gunter Parch, he uh, was evidently a steffi graf super fan and he and he wanted her to be number one not monica sellis and so in the middle of a second set monica sellis is sat on the bench and parch walked up behind her and just stabbed her in the back with this i think it was a boning knife so a pretty yep. pretty big deal um and of course it took sellis out for i think it took her a couple of years to, to re- kind of recover physically she, and, and emotionally from that and uh i think she would win another grand slam after that but obviously was never the same uh, after that, but uh, yeah, kind of an intense, intense ordeal. So, 
Yeah, just tragic, and, and that's my number five. For my number five yeah. as well, and just I, I I put this on my list. I'm like, oh, this is getting a little gruesome here, and so I didn't want to put it any higher up on the list. But man, it was just scary, and it certainly showed a breach in security that somebody could get out on the court like that and get up to an athlete. And so, just she's, I mean, she, it's in, in some ways fortunate to be alive. Fortunately, she didn't die from that. That would have just well been awful. Okay, yeah, we're switching gears and going back to something yeah. funny and uh, and hilarious. And I'm going to Tony Roberts. It's a name you probably don't really know. He's a comedian. Well, what did he do? Well, he was in attendance of a New Orleans Pelicans basketball game. He went online and bought a bunch of Pelicans official team gear before the game, wore it to the game, sat in the front row. The teams are warming up before the game, and he runs out on the floor with his hood up, and he doesn't look like an NBA athlete, and he pretends to warm up with the team, just starts getting some jumpers up. <laughs> and so this random guy <laughs> jumps on the field, starts shooting a couple threes. There's a security guard standing 10 feet from him, and I think he got three or four shots up before the guy walks out, makes him pull his hood down, and they realize, yeah, this guy is not a New Orleans Pelican basketball Imposter. player. So he uh, he was escorted off the floor, but yeah, he got a few shots. Up. And the funniest part is like he's in the, he's on the three point corner. He's in the corner, and he like gives the clap, like throws his ball, and the ball boy passes him the ball a couple times. They pass him the ball a couple times, and he gets a couple shots up before he's escorted off the floor. Oh boy, that is a good one. That is a good one. Uh, my number four. This is where I've got another legendary uh, incident. This is Fan Man of 1993, uh, the Riddick Bowe of Andrew Holyfield fight in Caesar's Palace. So James Miller, this. Uh, Nevada native. Uh, he wanted to crash the fight Parachute's at that outdoor in. palace, and he, yeah, seventh round of the fight. Yes. Here comes, here comes Miller in a paraglider. He got tangled up in the lights, and he came crashing down, landing I think just outside the ring. But to make matters worse, I mean, he got just beat the absolute snot out of them by these security guards. Ended up getting uh, knocked out and hospitalized, uh, and he got charged with dangerous flying, was fined uh, 200 bucks. But worth it uh, for some notoriety? Uh, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> but uh, my number four, yeah, fan man crashing Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield's fight. Very good. All right, my number four, Royals first base coach Tom Gamboa. This is back in the early 2000s. Coaching a game at first, they're at uh, whatever it's called now, the new Comiskey Park, whatever they're calling it now. I, don't, I lose track of it, Ames. So this guy jumps out of the fans and attacks him with a knife in the first base coaching box before people, the security and other players get there to help him out. But Royals first base coach Tom Gamboa attacked while coaching first base in Chicago on the south side. There you go. Um my number three is uh, iconic, and this is the first one I thought of when we did this. I'm going to Hank Aaron's home run. He hits the home run, and the two young fans um, run around, and they pat him on the shoulder. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you see something like that, and it's for the, for the wrong reasons. They, they wanted to congratulate him. And to me, it's, it stands out because it's one of the most iconic home runs of all time, his 715th home run. And... So every time you see the highlight, you see these two fans patting him on the shoulder as he's rounded second base. The funny part about that story is he reunited with them like 10 years ago, the two guys that, that pound, uh, pounded him on the shoulder. And uh, you know, obviously they were sent to jail and whatnot. But, yeah, they're forever in the footage of Hank Aaron's 715th homer. <laughs> That's great. Uh, my number three, another iconic incident. And although it's not really a rowdy fan incident, it's still a fan incident that had to be included. And this, of course, is Steve Barton making Moises Alou very, very mad on October 14, 2003. Of course, the game six NLCS game between the Cubs 
and the Marlins. Um, but not just the, the, the rowdy nature. wasn't just Steve Bartman um, trying to, to make the catch. That wasn't really rowdy. But if you go back and watch that 30 for 30 series, Catching Hell, um, Insane. The, the treatment that he got, I mean, the, just the, 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 the ugly tone just shifted right then and there. Um, where immediately the, the, they targeted in on Bartman and watching how, you know, how he had to be escorted out of the, of the building by security and, and, and just that hostility is, is very intense. And my take all along, and I, maybe, I mean, it's, it's impossible to tell, but I don't think Moises Alou would have caught that ball anyway. And also it would have been the second out of the inning, so they weren't out of the woods yet. It was game six. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, there's a lot that happened in, in that game that – uh, was not Bartman's fault, and so the idea that this was the incident that everyone remembers, um, I guess, I guess it makes sense in the grand scheme of things. But poor Steve Barton, yeah, catching hell is a great thirty for thirty, and would encourage anyone to seek that out if they haven't already watched it. Tim's yep. a Cardinals fan, so of course he uh, <laughs> thinks <laughs> he, it didn't matter. To he the revels in that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I say to say I do. Yep. All right, my number three was Ben's four. This is um, where I've got the fans that uh, ran with Hank Aaron. I mean, come on. It's one of the most iconic moments in baseball history, and these two yokels are out there kind of yeah. splitting the moment a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I've got that, that the Hank Aaron home run trot uh, when he broke Babe Ruth's record. Oh, what are we on here, number three? Yep, your three. All right. that was my, my number three, I'm going to the wild card game between the Braves and the Cardinals. There's an infield fly rule that um, that was in effect or whatever, and the Cardinals got the benefit of the call. Tim, I'm sure you remember it. Um, <laughs> it was right when the playoffs got expanded. It was the first year, and Atlanta got hosed on the call, and all of a sudden it starts raining beer cans and beer bottles on the floor or on the ground at Turner Field uh, before their new stadium was existence. And you hate to see it, but – Man, the obviously you know Braves fans thought it was a bad call, but the 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 field. I just remember the field being just littered with beer bottles and beer cans. And first of all, it's dangerous. Players had to get off the field, and they they had to spend like fifteen minutes clearing the bottles off off the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, my number two, and this is a, an obvious one. Everyone remembers this, uh, but I had to include it. And this is uh, of course malice at the palace back in two thousand four. The Pacers Pistons uh, infamous brawl that really. I don't know if you could say it changed the sport, but it, it certainly was a black mark against the NBA's name for, for quite a while. Ben Wallace got kind of clocked in the back of the head by Ron Artest, uh, who now I believe still goes by Meta World Peace. So there there you go. Uh, now it's taking a more peaceful turn. But then there was a fan that, that chucked beer at Artest, and that's when uh, things took a nasty turn. I mean, they, Artest was in the stands. You know, uh, people were throwing anything and everything you could find. They're just punching people left and right uh it was an ugly ugly brawl and the nba definitely was embarrassed to say the absolute least about the whole turn of events so uh the game got called right on the spot i think there was still like 45 seconds left they just said you know screw it we're done uh let's get out of here and and yeah it was uh not a not a pretty sight malice of the palace my number two yeah, me too. I didn't want to end on a dirty note like that, but it was ugly. It was a black eye for the league, and, um, you know, it, may, it forced a guy to change his name to Hyde. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make it three for three on number two, Malice at the Palace. Ron Artest getting beer thrown at him, and I, that was enough for him. Set him yep. off like a firecracker. Yep. <laughs> 
All right, my number one, my personal favorite, although I was not around to witness it, I, I very dearly wish that I was. Uh, this is where I've got Disco Demolition Night, July 12, 1979 at Comiskey Park. Um, and probably even more ill-advised promotion than 10 Cent Beer Night. Uh, for 98 cents and a disco record in hand, you could be admitted to the doubleheader between the Tigers and the White Sox. Uh, they were expecting about 20,000 people. Uh, 50,000 people showed up and <laughs> thousands more uh, snuck in uh, after uh, the, the shock jock who was running the, the promotion, Steve Dahl, blew up the records. Of course, he was dressed up in army fatigues to kind of add to the, to the uh, you know, the whole ordeal. Um, that's when the fans started to storm the field and yeah, the riot police had to get called in to clear everyone out. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the video of the, of the night is, is legendary. I think, um, I don't think there was a 30 for 30 about it, but there was a little mini ESPN doc on it, which, which is good. I uh, would definitely encourage people to check that out and, and um, <laughs> disco demolition night about as fun as it sounds. My number one. You guys don't even know what disco is, I don't think. Oh, young. yeah. Come on now. We know, we know what it is. We don't, we don't know how to do it. But we, <laughs> yeah, don't, it we don't listen or dance to it, but we know what it is. All right. My number one has been mentioned. This is Steve Bartman, who just fouled up the Cubs' playoff appearance, uh, reaching over and grabbing <laughs> that ball from Moises Alou. So, uh, Steve Bartman, my number one. My number one, Tim's number six. The band is on the field. <laughs> Cal Stanford, absolutely my number one. Oh, that's good. That's fun. So, uh, Austin, well done. Thanks for the topic. Appreciate you uh, participating with us tonight. Uh, I mean, we, we've had Tim in the past who completely confused what the category yeah. was, but he at least participated. So, yeah. Austin just kind of going AWOL, Ben. Yeah. He punted. Really disappointing. He punted. Yeah. Austin that, punted on second down is what he did. Yeah, I show grit. Austin, Austin needs to get that grit gene in him because he doesn't have it right now. We'll see yeah. if he develops it.